Let's pray together. Father, as we come now uh, to consider your word, uh, we ask that you would give us the ability to think deeply, um, to uh, question deeply. Would you uh, grant our minds to sort of speak um, lean forward and, uh, and fully engage, uh, but we ask that you will do a work in our hearts. If all this is true, then um, we need you to do a, a work of transformation in our lives. We need you to give us the trust and the faith that we cannot generate ourselves. Uh, so will you do that by your Holy Spirit? Um, and will you grant us to see Jesus more clearly? In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And um, it's helpful. We're, we're, we're not going to talk about taxes today. I'm sorry. Um, we'll, we'll pick that up um, in April or something. Um, but turn back to Colossians, please, on page 13. And we are, uh, we're continuing our series in Colossians. We're only going to look at the first paragraph there. But uh, keep that in view. And then we're also, you'll notice under on page 15, underneath the sermon, uh, there's the church vision statement. We'll um, re- refer to that a little bit as well. But mainly look at Colossians, because uh, that's more important. Um, the thing that we're going to talk about today is, in a sense, our job description here at Emmanuel Church. Uh, here's the, the question we need to ask and, and begin to answer is, is, what's the main thing that we do as Emmanuel Church? Uh, we do a number of things. We do a bunch of things. Um, there's lots of things we could do. There's lots of things we should do. But what's the main thing that we must do? One of the great things about being a church plant, uh, being a, a new congregation, is uh, that you don't have a lot of history, so you've got a lot of freedom. The bad thing about being a church plant is that you don't have a lot of history, and so you've got a lot of freedom, right? And therefore, um, there's a way in which you've got to ask and answer a lot of questions. You, you can't take anything for granted. You need to be uh, intentional, intentional about uh, who you are, what you're going to do, those sorts of things, which is really, really good. But there's a danger in that as well. And the danger is uh, that, you know, we can just be distracted by stuff. You know, good things to do that may perhaps isn't the main thing we need to do. And one of the main ways that we can be distracted is by our remarkable preferences, right? Like, you know, there's stuff you like about church and there's stuff you don't like about church, right? And there's, you know, some of us like music a certain way, some of us like music a different way, some of us want to focus on this particular aspect of church life, social action or evangelism or Bible teaching or whatever it might be or the uh, 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 fellowship with one another. There's a thousand things that some of us are really important to us, just intuitively. That To others of us, it's kind of like, well, I don't know. But as wonderful as all of those things are, there's a danger that sometimes we can uh, end up designing a church almost to, um, to, to try to appeal to the widest possible number of, of people. So we can kind of market us so that, market ourselves so that, so that so we're quite popular. Now, that's quite intuitive. However, over the last several weeks, over the, over the course of the autumn, we've been trying to approach the question of who should Emmanuel be by a different route. The, the question we've been trying to ask is not so much what kind of church do I want us to be or do you want us to be, but rather what kind of church does Jesus call us to be? What's Jesus' vision for our church? 
How do we live up to that? And the way we've been trying to answer that question is by looking at the book of Colossians, because uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, uh, where the reading comes from, wrote this letter to a young church that was trying to figure out just this question. How, are, how is the church in the city of Colossae going to embody Jesus' vision in their location at their time. And Paul writes this letter to coach them in that way. And so we've been looking at what Paul told them and applying it to us. And today, in that first paragraph, in the first reading, Paul talks about the job description, so to speak, for himself, for his own ministry. He's like, this is what I devote myself to doing. And the benefit of that is that as we look at what Paul, how Paul describes his ministry, we can, that becomes a model for us, and then we can hold up how we're doing things and saying, does it match? And where do we need to change things? So that's what we sort of need to do today. And, and here's how I want to do it. We're going to look at this reading where Paul talks about his job description as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's clearly meaning it as a model for the Colossians. And then we're going to have also this, our church vision statement. Uh, we said Emmanuel exists to see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. We want to hold these two things up and say, does our vision statement match up with, with what Paul is calling us to? Hopefully it will, but let's ask the question, all right? Let's jump in. Um, take a look at verse 25. Paul is describing his ministry to the Colossians, and he says this. He says, Colossians, I became a minister of the church, and then look at the end of verse 25, in order to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, uh, to unpack this just a little bit, focus on the word mystery. Um, Christianity, you can see this all through the scriptures, Christianity is all about the unveiling of a mystery. Uh, Christianity is all about seeing something that was previously hidden and that you cannot see just by trying to figure it out. Put differently, Christianity is all about seeing Jesus clearly. Now, what does that mean? Because that's all that's, everything I've just said is cryptic. So let me, let me try to make it clear. Um, illustration. I have a little artifact here. Uh, it's a leather pouch. I don't really know what's supposed to go in it. Um, but just imagine for a minute, it's a bit of a random thing, just imagine that you, you found this somewhere. And imagine for some reason you were interested in it. I don't want to presume that you are, but let's just imagine for the sake of argument that you were. And you picked it up, and you wanted to know something about where it came from. What, what's, what's behind this artifact? And let's imagine you took it to somebody, some sort of, I don't know, forensic scientist or, or, or I don't know, an art historian, if you could call this. Um, I, I will for the moment. Who analyzes, somehow you, you, you took it to a, um, I, anyway, um, you, you, you took it to somebody and, and they, they studied it and maybe they ran some tests and they kind of analyzed this or that and that and, and you found out a number of interesting things about it. You, you, perhaps you found out what, what kind of leather this is and, and maybe that gave you a clue about where it came from to some extent and, 
and maybe somebody uh, looked at the engravings that are on it and how it's stitched together, and maybe that gave you a, a hint that it came from the Western United States and perhaps the Southwest. But then imagine you found yourself not entirely satisfied with that. Imagine you wanted to know more. You wanted to know information about this that you could never derive simply by kind of analyzing it and studying it technically. And then one way or another, you found out something more. You found out a mystery. You found out that behind this artifact, a man called Tom woke up one morning in Mexico. And he was thinking about his grandson, a continent away, and asked the question, how can I tell my grandson, whom I don't get to see that often, that I love him? And so he got up and he walked into his workshop and he got a piece of leather and he began working on this. And he poured his love and his uh, artistry into it and he created a little pouch that a little boy in England could walk around on his belt. Now, that second part of the story tells you a great deal more. It tells you information about who and why this artifact is there, not just what it is. Now, I say all that in order to illustrate what it is the Bible's talking about when it talks about the mystery of Christ. It's not talking about some sort of unsolved mystery, some sort of question that we don't know the answer to. It, it's more that Paul is saying something like this. He's saying, Colossians. You can look around the world and you can study the world and you can observe the world and find out a lot of really, really good things about the world. But it's as if Paul says, but God wants to unveil a mystery to you. At the heart of the Bible is this desire of God to unveil a further mystery, some, a mystery that you cannot figure out simply by observing the world, but that's something that God has to tell you about, a story. And then Paul says, and if you want to know that story, and if you want to know that mystery, you've got to look at Jesus Christ. He says, the heart of this mystery is Christ in you the hope of glory. And Paul's point is that this is shorthand. He's saying, if you could understand this simple two phrases, Christ in you the hope of glory, he says, you would understand the mystery that's underneath the universe, that's behind the universe, that we, that we all want to see but we can't get access to by our own observations and our own pursuits, but God wants to unveil it for us. Now, let's take that Christ in you, the hope of glory, and try to open that up a little bit. Start with the hope of glory. Um, if, if you look at the rest of what Paul writes, um, it becomes clear that, that Paul argues elsewhere that uh, all of us humans were made for what he calls the glory of God, which means many things, but at least it means that, uh, that human beings were made to know God, we were made to know and receive his love, and we were made to uh, extend that love to other people. And that dynamic is the dynamic that, that uh, satisfies us, that fulfills us, that fills us with a joy that we want but we can't pull off on our own. The problem is, Paul says, that all of us have, in a variety of different ways, ended up rejecting God's glory. We've rejected a relationship with him, which means we've, uh, we are cut off in a very real way from his love, and therefore we are deeply incapable of loving other people well. We can at moments, but not adequately and consistently. But the great twist in the story of the Bible 
is that Paul says God in Jesus Christ, particularly in his death on the cross, has accomplished all things necessary for us to be brought back into the glory of God, for us to um, be brought into a reconciled relationship with God so that we receive his love, so that we can extend his love. Jesus has done everything necessary to get that done. And Paul says one day in the future, if you belong to Jesus Christ, there will come a day where you will know the glory of God perfectly, where you will perfectly experiencing, experience that satisfy, satisfying relationship with God. So that's quite good. Everything's been done for us uh, in the future to know this glory. But Paul says there's more. There's more. There's more right now. It's not just the future. It's now. Look back at the phrase. Christ in you now. And that's extremely important because Paul's saying that if you belong to Jesus, not only do you have a future that's secure, Jesus has done everything necessary for your eternal joy in the future, but also right now, um, Christ is in us, which is a way of describing this bond of love and trust and affection between the believer and Jesus Christ, so that we begin, if you belong to Jesus, even right now, you begin to taste glory. You begin to taste that relationship you were designed for. You begin to taste uh, receiving God's love in Christ, and you are empowered to extend God's love in Christ. He says it's not just the future, it's now. Now, stop. This is why, friends, in our vision statement, we say that Emmanuel exists to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. We're trying to capture this. Because seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ is our best way, it's the best way I know in shorthand to describe that bond of trust and love and affection that is meant to be between us and Jesus Christ. What we mean is that when you see the beauty of Jesus Christ, what happens is we deeply internalize everything that Jesus has done for us, trusting it, loving him for it, until our hearts swell with a kind of gratitude and joy. And what we're experiencing in that moment is that our future glory is beginning to break into now. That's when we're fully embracing Christ in us, the hope of glory. When you're seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ. And Paul says this is crucial. This is the, the first priority in his ministry. He wants to unveil the mystery of Jesus so that we're bound to him in love so that we see his beauty. So that's the first part of Paul's job description. And it needs to be the first part of ours. It needs to be the highest priority to see Jesus Christ, everything he's done for us, and to be bound to him in love and trust and union. But that leads to the next thing. The next thing is that we are not only to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, but we're to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ. Let me show you where that comes from. Look at verse 28. Look at all the speaking words that he uses. Paul says, speaking about Jesus, he says, we proclaim Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, what I want you to see is that the central activity, if the aim of Paul's ministry is to see the beauty of Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory, then the activity of Paul's ministry is to proclaim Jesus teach Jesus, 
make Jesus clear. And that's why our vision statement reads that we are to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me just try to flesh out why this is important and why, do, why we use the word describing. Um, remember, uh, Christianity is all about unveiling the mystery, right? You can see around the world, you can get, see a little taste of it, but you can't see the full picture until Jesus shows himself. And if Christianity is all about seeing a mystery that is naturally veiled to us, then that explains why the central activity of the church and the central activity of Paul's ministry is to help people see Jesus. One of the ways to say this is that the central ministry of the church is not primarily advice. It's not centrally, it's not mainly that, for instance, I sit up here and say, you know, let me give you 10 steps on how to live a fantastic life. You wouldn't want to talk to me about that anyway. The central activity is to help people see Jesus. Let me say it differently. Emmanuel's central task is that we as a church would see Jesus, Christ in us, the hope of glory, so clearly that then we begin to be able to describe his beauty so that other people who right now can't see Jesus' beauty begin to listen to us and sort of look along our, you know, our gaze. And then they begin to say, yeah, I, I can see something of Jesus too. I can't see everything. I can't see everything you're talking about. Some of it's a bit odd. But I can begin to see bits of it. Now look back at Paul, because Paul uses three really important words. He says, uh, when we proclaim Christ, when we describe Jesus, we, we warn and we teach and we do it with wisdom. Um, those, are, those are kind of scary words. Warning, that sounds threatening, doesn't it? It sounds threatening to me. Um, uh, teaching may sound patronizing, but I want to show you that it's not. It, it doesn't need to be anyway. Just think with me. If you back up and you read the whole book of Colossians, which I encourage you to do, what you'll find is that there's times where Paul says in so many words um, something like this. Colossians, you're doing great on a bunch of points, but listen, be careful about a couple things. There, there's a couple areas where um, I, I, I think you're misunderstanding Jesus. And it, that misunderstanding of Jesus, um, if you let it continue, it, it, it'll lead you to bad places. So Paul says, don't do that. Rather, um, let, me, let me correct your view of Jesus so that you can see more clearly, and, and that'll lead to following him more entirely. Now, that's warning. It means to take something that's just a little off kilter and just to say, hey, let me help you put it right. And then there's other times where Paul says, listen, Colossians, um, you're doing great, and, and you're, you're seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ, but, but wait, there's more. Um, there's more to see. Let me show you some, a, a portion of the portrait that you haven't seen yet. Let me point it out. That's teaching. And he wants to do all of it wisely, which means uh, Paul is to know Jesus really well and know his people really well so that he's skillful in helping his people see Jesus. So he's just not doing it silly. He's doing it wisely. Now, Emmanuel. That is central to our job here. What's our job? Here's our job. Our job is to become a people who see Jesus and are captivated by him. And then we use all the wisdom and the skill that we have to 
depict him, describe him to each other so that all of us around here are helped to see Jesus with increasing clarity as we help one another get that done. Almost everything we do here at Emmanuel is one way or another about describing Jesus. Why do we sing? We don't sing just because we like music, but we do. We sing because it's describing Jesus to each other. Why do we preach? Some of you are wondering where I'm at right now. Um, Why do we preach? We preach because preaching is all about describing Jesus to each other so that we can see his beauty more clearly. Um, when you're with your friends who, who are not Jesus followers and, and you begin talking, you know, why do you do church? Why are you a Christian? That's weird. And, and then you say, well, let me talk to you about Jesus. and Let me just describe some of the beauty that I have seen. That's what we call evangelism. Um, why do we do liturgy and stuff like that? It's not because it's cool. You're like, duh. Um, it's because, it's because um, reading the scriptures together And rehearsing the gospel is aimed to make Jesus increasingly accurately clear to us. And the thing is, we're all on the hook for it, okay? We're all on the hook for it. Don't you dare think it's just up to the preacher, okay? It's not. Every one of us is meant to be uh, increasingly, increasing our skill in describing Jesus one to another. And, And in fact, even if you're not yet a Christian, Even if you're like, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian, I'm not sure I buy it, all that kind of stuff. Even, you know, even you're on the hook. Because when you ask us hard questions that you're afraid we don't want to have asked, ask anyway. Because when you ask us hard questions, it forces us and gives us a wonderful opportunity to look at Jesus more closely. Bring that question to Jesus and say, Jesus, how does your goodness and truth and beauty answer this very, very difficult question that I can't really figure out myself. And and that ups our game in describing Jesus. So bring all your hard questions. And if you've been a Christian for a while, let me ask you some questions. Let me ask you some questions. How are you describing Jesus? How are you describing his beauty? Uh, Who is describing Jesus' beauty to you? Is that happening in your home group, in your prayer group? Are you in one? Are you willing to be warned? I just said a few minutes ago that it's not threatening. Well, sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. Are you ready to to teach others? Are you uh, willing to challenge others here in the church? All right. What's our job description? Our job description is first to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, the Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Secondly, to describe Jesus' beauty to one to another. And then the last thing is we reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 28. You, you notice here, uh, Paul's endgame, the goal, is that we may uh, present every single person mature in Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to be mature in Christ? Well, remember, uh, the heart of the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you're mature in Christ when your bond with Jesus Christ is very, very strong. You're mature in Christ when you see Jesus' beauty so accurately and compellingly that you begin not only to be able to describe it, but to resemble it. 
you begin to reflect the beauty of Jesus in your character, in your words, in your thinking, in what you love, in what you set aside. Let me illustrate. I've used this illustration before. I'll use it again. Um, think about the moon, right? Big full moon. The moon can't produce light. You know that. The moon has to be facing the sun. I know it's always facing the sun, but you know, from our perspective. It has to be facing the sun, and it has to be facing the earth at the same time. That's the only way that it reflects to us. Which is to say, it shines with the light of the sun, so it almost has to look at the sun and shine with the sun's light. And that's a picture, wonderful picture, of being mature in Christ. And Paul models it for us. Look at verse 29. He says, for this I toil. He toils in describing Jesus in order, struggling with all of the energy that he, that means Christ, powerfully works within me. Look at what that's saying. Do you catch that? Paul's working hard to describe Jesus. But whose power is working in him? Do you catch that? It's not his own. It's Jesus working in him. He's not relying on himself. He's relying on Jesus working in him and through him. He's the moon who is shining with the light of someone else. That's a mature Christian. A mature Christian is somebody who is so bound to Christ in trust and love and affection, so dependent upon Christ and not upon ourselves, that Christ in us, the hope of glory, begins to motivate us and drive us and energize us in obedience, in faithfulness, in service, in love that we cannot produce ourselves. I said at the beginning that, uh, that we were going to talk about our job description as a church, which is true, but not entirely, because there's a way in which what really matters is not our job description. What really matters is Jesus' job within us. The mystery of Christianity is that Jesus has accomplished everything necessary for our eternal joy. That's in the future. But even right now, part of the mystery is that every good thing at this church, every good thing we do, everything that is worthwhile and valuable to God, to our city, and to one another, is all because Jesus is working in us. We don't get the credit, he gets all the credit. But here's the thing. The more we become captivated by Jesus' work and not our own. Whose work are you captivated by, by the way? The more we're captivated by Jesus' work and not our own, the more we'll see Jesus' beauty. The more we'll rely on him. The better we'll be able to describe his beauty to other people. And the more we will reflect his beauty. We will be like the moon, looking at the sun reflecting the sun, taking no credit for the light, but thoroughly enjoying the view. That's our job. And there's one more thing to say, and this is hard. There is no reflecting the beauty of Jesus Christ without sharing in his suffering. Look at verse 24. Did that catch you earlier? Verse 24, Jesus, or Paul says that he uh, rejoices in his suffering because he's, um, he's filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. What in the world does that mean? Um, we can talk about this later if you've got questions about it, but when it says Christ's afflictions, it doesn't mean his work on the cross. It means almost certainly 
the way Christ suffers with his people when they go through suffering. Remember, this is very important all through the scriptures, remember that Jesus' beauty was most fully displayed in his suffering on the cross. And if that's true, then one of the things that it means is that very often the church reflects Christ's beauty most effectively and clearly, most fully, not when we're doing great, not when everything's amazing, not when people are writing books about us as a church, but rather when we're going through times of pain and difficulty because we're loyal to Jesus Christ. And that means as a church, Emmanuel, we have got to prepare ourselves for times of pain and difficulty and suffering. And when those times come, and they will come, it will not mean, and you've got to tell yourself now, because it, it will not mean that Christ is unfaithful to us. Nor does it necessarily mean that we have been unfaithful to him. It may well be that those are the times when Christ in us, the hope of glory, becomes more vivid. And therefore, Christ will become more beautiful to us. And therefore, we will be empowered to describe his beauty more clearly and reflect his beauty more entirely. And if that's the case, then it will be well worth it. So what's our job? We see Jesus in all his beauty. We describe Jesus in all his beauty. We reflect Jesus in all his beauty, for his glory. Amen? Amen.